Hello and welcome to Across the River, a podcast that weaves together death and dying, tarot, and witchcraft. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Sarah. We are not experts of any kind, simply two witches who like to think and talk about death, dying, and divination. We invite you to journey with us across the river. We are recording across the river in Toronto, Ontario, also known as Tecoronto. The land that holds this city is and has been for millennia a home to many diverse First Nations and Indigenous Inuit and Métis peoples, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. The land teaches us about the cycles of birth, death, decay, and rebirth. We're grateful for the opportunity to live in and learn from this land. Hi there. Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to um, put in a little bit of a content warning. During this uh, discussion that we had today, um, we talked a little bit about the Japanese-Canadian internment and displacement. So if that is something that you might not be willing to engage with at this time, um, please know that uh, it's it's not really easy to skip over. It's a fairly big part of the episode. So um, just wanted to make sure that anyone who might be triggered by that has some warning before it comes up. Hey, Rebecca. Hi, Sarah. How's it going today? Good, how are you? I am, so I have a funny little story to share that I think will kind of lead us into our topic for today. Um, For a very brief moment yesterday, I thought I had discovered that I have Viking ancestors. Oh my gosh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I may. I actually, this whole thing has uh, made me decide that I've been wanting to do an ancestry in me kind Mm. of a thing for a while now, and now I just have to. But, um, so my mother and my cousin have both developed uh, a condition called de Buitren's syndrome, okay. which is a painless condition, but it basically um, thickens the tissue in your hand and kind of makes your fingers claw up a little huh, bit. okay. Yeah. Um, they're both very, very mild cases of this. And Good. No one's fingers are uh, turning into claws, but... The story was that it's genetic um, and that it is very likely um, a, uh, it very likely came from Vikings. Um, I did some Googling because I was like, hmm. And unfortunately, it seems like it's not a necessarily, or it's, uh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, It's not a straight one-to-one. Okay. But um, yeah, I don't know. It kind of just reminded me that there are so many things we think we know where we come from, and um, we don't always. There's so many things to discover. It's so true. Um, that's such a great story. So now I'm really curious about whether you do actually have Viking, Viking. ancestry, because they went everywhere. Exactly, and I do have Northern European ancestry, and there was a lot of like, yeah, they were conquering, they were intermarrying, so it's entirely possible. It is, it is. Um, it's very interesting to find out. Um, I have done, uh, I did the 23 Me, mm-hmm. and that is really interesting for going back kind of a few generations, and that sort of showed me some surprising things that I wasn't expecting to, to see there. Um, and there is some Scandinavian ancestry in my own family that we knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's another site that can reveal some very interesting stuff called, I believe, uh, My Ancient DNA or something mm. like that, where it can read those results and go back further based on archaeological evidence Ooh. to sort of look at, you know, where you might have ancestry in the year like 2000 BC and that kind of thing. And that was fascinating. So if you really do want to know for sure, like, <laughs> do I have Icelandic Viking ancestry or Danish Viking ancestry <laughs> insofar as much as those distinctions existed, you know, the mm-hmm. part of the world, they were not those countries then. Um, apparently the site can tell you. Um, that is super amazing. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> So we are talking about ancestry today. We are. Uh, specifically, we decided we wanted to talk about ancestor work, mm-hmm. and um, which is something that both Rebecca and I do to some degree. And um, I think today we thought we would switch things around a little bit and start talking uh, about our tarot cards. But I think before we get into that, Rebecca, I'd love for you to just um, elaborate a little bit on what ancestor work is and maybe why it appealed to you. Yeah, okay, so um, ancestor work for me means kind of the whole big umbrella of partly doing what you just described, trying to learn about where we come from, who came before us in in, in our own ancestry, It also includes various kind of practices that I'm sure we'll talk about to do with building a relationship and a sense of connection with those who came before us, which is something that I felt very disconnected from for quite a long time. And I think it's still easy for me to slip back into a feeling of disconnection because I personally was not raised in a culture or really a a family that um, had as a central practice a sense of kind of reaching back toward the past and connecting with older practices. That's not to say that my family didn't um, have connections with their ancestors. Actually, my dad, when I was a younger kid, did did quite a lot of work on genealogy of my family, trying to trace um, family roots. And and so that is a kind of ancestor work Mm -hmm. that's sort of, you know, factual knowledge about your family, your family's history, where your family comes from. But on a broader scale, um, it was one of my teachers, uh, Monica, who we spoke about last podcast, who, when I was working with her and learning from her, really encouraged us to look toward our own ancestry to learn about where we come from and what kinds of sacred practices our ancestors may have had Mm -hmm. when it comes to building a sacred practice of our own. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of streams that we're talking about. We started off talking about practical knowledge, trying to to learn factually what kind of of ancestral roots do we have, where where do our families come from, Um, learning about the realities of our immediate family and, um, you know, maybe relatives that we, that we knew who have passed. And so that we now maybe can consider to be ancestors, Mm -hmm. but also a broader practice of, at least for me, this is, this is part of my practice. And I'm going to guess for you too, 
not guess because I think we've talked about it. <laughs> there's, there's a, um, a sense of knowing also that beyond the family that you know of is a much, much broader, mm-hmm. longer line of ancestors. And I line isn't quite the right word, maybe cloud even or web that can be very far reaching in very surprising ways. And that actually what I found is as I try to reach back toward my own ancestry, what becomes enormously clear is that everyone is connected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that we're, 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 we're reaching back towards ancestors, not as a way of um, kind of trying to, the, the illusion that there's some exclusive singular ancestry that one person possesses, like, um, you know, oh, I'm Irish. Mm-hmm. Well, that means, you know, you're, you might be Celtic, you might be Northern European, you might be, you know, there's, there's, there's a huge, like, no one is just one thing. Mm-hmm. And we are all always, and I think that's something that people are discovering as they do, like 23andMe. Yes. You know, all of us are, um, are contain multitudes. So yeah, ancestor work, um, is both kind of knowledge building, but then also relationship building mm-hmm. as we, through various kinds of spiritual or sacred practices or witchcraft practices, try to maybe repair some bonds that were, were, um, weakened through, mm-hmm. you know, a few generations of, of not being tended Mm-hmm. and to try to learn from what those ancestors might have to teach us about how to live now because they lived through some stuff and they can <laughs> probably share a lot of wisdom with us. Mm-hmm. What about you? How would you answer that question? How do you think of ancestor work? Oh, gosh. Um, so definitely a lot of what you've already covered. Um, but as I was thinking about how I wanted to talk about this, um, I think for me, I'll, I'll say at least that my in to ancestor work was a desire to heal intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were saying, often those connections, um, especially the way that we live today, um, yeah, no, those connections not being tended are one reason that we may not have those ancestral roots. But um, so in my family, at least on my father's side, which is Japanese Canadian, um, those roots were kind of severed um, for a bunch of different reasons, but um, most uh, obviously because of the Japanese Canadian internment during the Second World War. Um, my, I'm fourth generation Japanese Canadian, uh, Yonsei. And so my grandparents who were born in Canada, um, were the generation and their young children, um, were the generation, uh, that experienced that. Mm Um, without getting into too much detail, I did want to talk about it a little bit just because, um, I think that most people have an idea that it happens, but they don't know necessarily much of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first thing is that um, 90% of the Japanese Canadian population was living in the BC interior at that time. So 
while this happened in the States as well, um, the Canadian situation was pretty unique because of that. So they were able to basically round up everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, about half of the 23,000 people who were affected by this were interned, but a lot of people were, um, either sent to live on, uh, well, work on beet farms in Manitoba and, uh, in Alberta. Um, some of them were also, uh, displaced and had to find places to go. Um, but it was pretty much the entire population. And, um, so my grandparents were one of the ones who were displaced. Um, everyone's property was seized and sold off mostly to fund the internment. Mm. And, um, my grandmother was an excellent cook and was able to find work at a school in Ontario, um, as a cook. And she was able to bring my grandfather with her uh, as a handyman, although he was famously unhandy in the family. <laughs> uh, I think at the time he owned a hammer. And <laughs> that was it. He was a bank teller. And, um, so that was, <laughs> that was, there's a little bit of levity that we find in that situation mm-hmm. there in the family. But um, yeah, that kind of history leaves a mark on all of the generations to come. And while I do think that ancestor work is so much bigger than just trauma healing, as I said, that was kind of the in for me. Um, I lost, I never had access to a lot of my culture due to mm-hmm. that particular thing because um, as a lot of minority groups will do anyway, but especially when something like this happens, they shut everything down. They stopped speaking Japanese. They stopped um, passing down traditions because it was dangerous. Um, Mm -hmm. As I said, that particular population was almost exclusively living in the BC interior at that time. And it was a thriving community that had a lot of, um, there were Japanese language schools, there were Japanese newspapers. Um, It was really a very connected community. And due to that, they were targeted. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, (laughs) as always, I don't quite know how to finish my thought there, but um, that history was something that was not talked about a lot in my family. Well, that, that's not entirely fair. My father, um, definitely made sure that we knew about what had happened. My grandmother talked about it with me once. Um, and I mean, I was fairly young at the time. Um, I wonder if we would have had further conversations had she lived when I was an adult, but, um, we're not the only group of people, especially in Canada or the United States, on Turtle Island, actually, I should say, um, who have been through something like this. So that healing is, for me, a huge part of the ancestor work that I do. Um, and what drew me in, but I think think what I discovered through doing that work, I didn't have a lot of faith, I guess, that I would find real wisdom there. Mm. But 
I think because I've experienced so much of that trauma intergenerationally, I expected that I would have to do a lot of healing and a lot of healing for them. Mm. And I have found that I think they've done a lot of healing on their own. Um, I personally believe that, um, yeah, ancestors can, who knows what they can do beyond the veil. Um, I Mm -hmm. actually really couldn't even say. Um, But there was so much wisdom there and so much love that I found. Um, And that has been a really beautiful discovery to make. Wow. Um, Thank you so much for bringing that into this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of just letting that sit for a moment. Yeah. I would imagine that what you just said is going to resonate with a lot of people who have had similar experiences. And it is tragically all too common that there is this forced severance from ancestry and from culture um and so yeah i am i am sorry that you and your family and their community went through that thank you yeah yeah i mean it is what it is and um but yes i think there are racialized folks especially um and definitely indigenous folks absolutely um will have experienced this to some degree um, because assimilation is the safest route to take a lot of the time, Um, especially when we're talking about um, families that have potentially been here for generations now. Yeah. Um, And... Yeah, I I mourn that... uh, it felt like a part was missing mm-hmm. um, for a very long time. My father doesn't speak Japanese. Um, they did send me <laughs> to Japanese school when I was a child. Okay. It was on Saturdays. Um, and uh, I think I was the only person in that class who wasn't first generation. And therefore, um, I was the only person who didn't speak the language I at see. home. So it was just a little bit beyond like right. <laughs> my understanding and it was a Saturday. So I kicked and screamed until <laughs> they uh, let me stop going, which I definitely regret now. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, I think for me, finding those cultural roots again has been a really important part of my practice one thing that I did I remember one autumn equinox I was thinking what do I do to celebrate this it was fairly early on in my witch journey and um, I was kind of reading about what other people sort of um, were doing around that and I thought to myself what do they do in Japan Mm -hmm. Um, and I discovered that that is actually a time to communicate with ancestors. Mm. Um, often they would do, uh, oh gosh, I don't know the term that they would use, but uh, basically a dumb supper, um, which is where you lay out food as an offering. 
and um so it's basically like the <laughs> Japanese Samhain almost. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I have started a tradition where I didn't. I wasn't able to do it this year, unfortunately. I was very sick at the time, but um, generally I will go and visit my grandparents' graves. Um, they're the only family graves that I have mm-hmm. to go to here, so um, I go visit them and talk to them and. Um, the last few times I actually pulled a few tarot cards and really felt like I was communing, uh, which was really lovely. Uh, I haven't ever offered up food, which I think is something that I do want to work into mm. that. Um, but uh, creating that tradition for myself um, after doing that research felt really special. And it's something that I know that, um, especially because... I mean, it's entirely possible that, like I said, I have Northern European ancestry. I don't know exactly a few generations back where that goes. But um, the Wheel of the Year has always been a little bit something that I don't always connect with. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it feels really important, especially the equinoxes. And um, those feel like something I really want to separate, uh, celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I, I really wanted to look into traditions that my family would have been doing. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, I looked into Finland and I couldn't really find much about how they must celebrate the equinoxes, Mm -hmm. especially. Um, but I wasn't finding any particular traditions. Um, but yeah, looking into it, I am talking a lot. No, you're, I? everything you're talking about is so important to this conversation. And also, um, you know, I, th- I think it's worth recognizing here as we're like at the beginning of this, you're bringing experiences from your family mm-hmm. that through, um, you know, <laughs> through, through privilege and um, colonization, I don't have in mind. Mm-hmm. You're talking about experiences that are in your family that, um, you know, as a, as a white settler person, no one rounded up my family and put them in internment camps. That did not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, um, if you go not too far back in the ancestry of my own family, you find um, slave owners. Okay. So, you know, that's... It's worth, I think, contextualizing that we're coming, you know, from different. ancestor work is going to be different for, for each of us. Yeah. And you're doing a different kind of work in your ancestor work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd it's, actually, go ahead, sorry. Sorry, no, no, I was just going to say, I'd actually love for you to elaborate a little bit maybe on what it is to um, work with your ancestry when there is the knowledge that there were people in that line who caused harm. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm just thinking about how to get words around that too. I think, first of all, as I think there's a, there's a tangential thought that comes up for me there, which is you're not obligated to have a relationship with every ancestor. Yes. There are some folks in my ancestry that I'm just not interested in forging a connection with. Mm-hmm. So I don't. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't seem to be interested in forging a connection with me either. Um, so we don't really have a relationship. What I am aware of, however, is that, um, 
those harms were done by people who were related to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part of the work that I think is necessary for healing, I don't want to say healing from that because that implies that there's like an injury to me and that's not necessarily what I'm talking about here, but um, mm-hmm. I want to use a witch's words here. Like I want to try and get as close to the bone as I can with, with, with what I'm saying. Um, I think it is my obligation to understand what harms were done. Mm -hmm. Part of what you just shared is, is helping me to understand that. So, you know, when, when you share what harms have been done to you and your family as a result of oppression, that helps me learn something more about what harms were caused by the members of my family who were engaged in oppression. So I appreciate that very much. Um, I think it, for someone like me who is coming from um, a background that includes that, and I'm saying includes, I don't, you know, there's a lot of you know, there's a whole spectrum of, there are also really wonderful people in my mm-hmm. family who, who were, you know, not behaving in this way, but I do know that that was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I am obligated to learn about what harms were done mm-hmm. and I am obligated to investigate within my own self, what kinds of perspectives mm-hmm. were inherited mm-hmm. that could potentially cause me to further perpetuate harm. It would be naive of me to suggest that I did not inherit perspectives that could cause me to do harm, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I think that's the obligation of basically anyone living here in Turtle Island and, you know, around the globe who is of, um, of, you know, white European descent. Mm -hmm. Um, If that is you, folks in your ancestry we should cause harm like that that happened Mm -hmm. the solution is like vast and complex and I don't know what the solution is but I do know that I think it is the right thing to do to educate myself to listen when someone is gracious enough to share their own experience um, and then to try and investigate how we can take actions in our own lives to first of all stop doing harm Mm -hmm. and second of all um work to make the world going forward equitable for everyone who inhabits it Yeah. yeah that is a that is pretty broad and not like uh I haven't presented like concrete and targeted actions, but that might mean that, you know, it, it might mean that you um, <laughs> tell the racist person at your Thanksgiving table that they're being racist. Um, it might mean that you, um, I, I think, you know, for me, a good deal of what it means is to really try and practice a lot of self-awareness and to, um, you know, I'm 
and to broaden your perspectives by um, by learning from the perspectives of others when they're offered. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so like I think if I'm if I'm trying to if I'm trying, let's say, um, you know, I'm let's say I'm reading a book by a black author who has great, you know, generously written us a book about mm-hmm. um, anti-racist action. That's ancestor work. Oh, yeah. Right, because, you know, I have an ancestor, probably several, (laughs) many, Mm -hmm. who um, harmed black people. Mm -hmm. So if I am trying to now learn from from black people about what is needed, you know, from me as the descendant of that person to Mm -hmm. further equity, that's ancestor work. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to 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 mitigate the harms done by that ancestor mm-hmm. and you know as you said beyond the veil maybe our ancestors maybe that ancestor can learn something mm-hmm. maybe yeah. maybe they couldn't figure it out for whatever reason while they were alive mm-hmm. but maybe there can be some healing back through i i don't know um this yeah. is something i think about quite a bit I don't always like speak publicly on it because I never quite feel that I have the right words Mm -hmm. and I also never quite feel that um um, that I'm doing enough I suppose yeah um but I also think that um like you can't let the fear of not doing enough make you do nothing I think that's very true um I don't so that is where that thought is at the moment and more thoughts in that direction mm-hmm. may arise. Um, but, you know, my, it's not, my family is not an exceptional case. Mm-hmm. I think it can become challenge. That might be a bridge too far for me to get into here. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm having a thought. We'll see if I cut this, if this thought can't come to fruition. Um, I'm having a thought about like, white people getting all, um, you know, butthurt is the word I want to use (laughs) about like feeling like they're being persecuted for things that they themselves didn't do. Mm. Um, and that's an ungenerous way of framing it. Maybe a more, maybe a more generous way is to say that like, no one likes to think that they've hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and no one wants to, no one wants to take responsibility for the harmful actions of another person. Um, so, I, I suppose one way I'm thinking of it, it's like, it is not my Rebecca's specific fault that that ancestor acted in that way. However, I am the person who's alive right now to try and do something about the fact that they acted that way. Mm-hmm. We don't always choose the responsibilities that we inherit. Mm-hmm. I have re- inherited a certain responsibility. Yeah, I would say that all of us who are, you know, who are white descended people on Turtle Island have inherited that responsibility. Um, and I would like for my actions while I'm here to make the world more equitable than it was when I came into it. Mm -hmm. And, and I would like in whatever, I know it's not, I don't think we have to be like grandiose about it. I don't have to change the whole world. Mm-hmm. But I am obligated to um, work to create equity for 
for the people that I share this world with and I'm in relationship with, which is like everyone here, (laughs) you know, that's, that's that. So Mm -hmm. those are my thoughts on how I approach that from the other side of the, Mm -hmm. of the coin. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think it's something that is really important to talk about. And it's interesting what you were saying about, um, how one is and isn't I mean like it's not like you Rebecca personally own slaves and um, I think there's only so much responsibility that we can take for things that we have not done but it it when you were talking it reminded me of so the uh, I'll bring it back there but the Japanese Canadian uh, redress because there was one um, Actually, it was in 1988, which was the year I was born, so that was really cool. But um, there was a big movement for a while to try and get redress for what had happened. And it happened once um, when Pierre Elliott Trudeau was in office uh, as the prime minister, and he said, he shut it down and said something to the effect of, this is not the government we had back then. Mm -hmm. Why are we being asked to apologize? Um, And it kind of brings it up is that, yeah, maybe it's not the same people in office, but the government of Canada owed an apology and owed amends and redress. Um, And it took many, many years after that to finally get it. But we do have that responsibility mm-hmm. to what has happened before um, to, I guess, the degree to which probably every single person has to decide on their own. But, um, I mean, as you were talking, I do, it, it's an interesting situation to be in being biracial because I do have that history on one side of my mm-hmm. family. Um, but I also have white ancestors mm-hmm. who were settlers in this country. And it's also even more complicated because, how do I say this? East Asians specifically have more privilege right now than other groups of color do. Um, Which is not to say that we don't experience racism or the effects of racism um, intergenerationally. But um, yeah, it's just, it's different and... I don't, that feels weird to say um, and to talk about, but not all groups of color um, experience the same things. So there is a lot of work that I have to do on that side of things as well. And I think that might be, I think one thing we really wanted to talk about today was the idea of ancestor work, yes, being working with our past ancestors, but also being about how can we be good ancestors Mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah. Um, And I think you and I were coming from it from slightly different perspectives because I am in the process of planning to become a literal ancestor um, by having children. Uh Um, But what does being a good ancestor mean to you? 
Oh boy. Um, well, I do. I maybe want to just, you know, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna move we're gonna move forward topically. But I I want to touch maybe one more thing from that aspect of the conversation we were just having, and I do think it pertains to this, which is. Um, I'm imagining what the what conversations around things like reparations could look like if mm-hmm. we were in fact envisioning that as ancestor work. Mm-hmm. Um, that we are doing work to heal some of the harms done by our ancestors to the you know and and that those harms were done to the ancestors of the people who are alive now but still experiencing the effects of that ancestral harm. And that that work could be a way of doing honor to both of those groups of ancestors mm-hmm. by trying to address some of the results of the mistakes of our own ancestors and to honor the harms that were done mm-hmm. to the ancestors of Japanese people living in Canada now, um, in Turtle Island now, indigenous people living in Turtle Island now. Mm-hmm. Um, that if we could in- invite that dimension into the work, it might allow us to take a somewhat broader perspective that could recognize ancestors still as a part of our community. Mm-hmm. There is something in that attitude of like, well, it wasn't our government that did that. Mm-hmm. That does not uh, invite the presence of those ancestors into the, into, the, into the community. And I think that there are probably, you know, I think that there are still um, cultures and communities where the ancestors are still very much a part of community Mm -hmm. and so I think you know part of being a good ancestor is to try and do a better job than my ancestors did in this regard (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's not the only factor Mm -hmm. um I might ask you to jump on this one first if that's okay I've got a lot of thoughts cooking in in here but I might need a minute to. I might need a minute to bring them together so you know Mm -hmm. maybe I'll ask you as someone who is um going to become an ancestor in the more in the more literal sense mm-hmm. um maybe to talk a little bit about what that what that means for you how do you envision yourself being a good ancestor yeah yeah millennia to come <laughs> <laughs> so oh the first thing that's coming to my mind is um that there feels like a responsibility there to pass down to learn as much about my ancestry as I can and to share that knowledge with um, and I think that being a good ancestor to me is not just about being a good parent um, specifically it, it encompasses I think a lot more than that but I think if we're t- talking just about um, future child, (laughs) future little human, um, passing down that knowledge to them, uh, helping them to understand why ancestry is so important, um, and culture and, um, instilling in them a sense of feeling connected to ancestry, but also to this planet and to Mm -hmm. each other. Um, one thing that I think feels really important to me is that I would teach a child that they are part of so many different communities, Mm -hmm. um, 
because I felt like that was missing for me. Um, and making sure that they know how connected they are to the people in their lives, to their broader communities, to their ancestors. Um, and the other thought that's really coming up is when I have been thinking about the future that we are leaving for any children mm -hmm. that are going to be born, well, have been born and are going to be born at this particular time, I cannot help but think about the way that we're treating this planet. Um, being a good ancestor to me feels, it feels really important mm -hmm. to acknowledge it's a strange feeling to be so hopeful for the future and also so terrified of it at yeah. the same time because we might be past the point of no return now. Um, and thinking about how the, this planet is going to look when the child that I want to have is even maybe 50 years old uh, is terrifying to me. Mm -hmm. And so I have to pull that hope that I'm feeling around this experience and pour it into something, um, uh, specifically something that I can do to... I mean, whatever that ends up looking like to make sure that this planet is <laughs> a place where people can continue to live and continue to have children um, because it's not looking that way right now. And I got real dark, but um, yeah, yeah. I might pass it back over to you. Yeah. Um, I, I think like you, a place where I feel this ex incredibly strongly is in the urge to uh, try and do something. Mm-hmm to make this planet continue to be a good place to live mm -hmm. for all beings that live here. Yes. As you were getting to when you were saying you wanted your child to understand that they were a part of many different communities. Mm -hmm. um, that is another place that I really feel like, um, yeah, I and, and many other people who are, who are living here have sort of lost the thread of being in relationship with this earth and we don't quite understand to what degree we are interdependent upon each other and so if there is something i can do to work toward rebuilding those relationships as well um, that's ancestor work too mm -hmm. it's not just human people that have been harmed by mm -hmm. things that my ancestors have done. It's also um, non-human beings. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also that that is a place where there's hope. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that if we can begin to renew those kinds of relationships... Mm -hmm and begin to recover some of the knowledge that was once possessed about how to live in, again, I'm going to say equitable relationship with those with whom we share this planet. Mm -hmm. That is a place where maybe hope can be found. 
And that is one reason why it does actually feel important to me to reach back to my own ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, perhaps in prehistory, perhaps in before the introduction of Christianity, or perhaps before the introduction of industrialization, there's all, you know, before, 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 we can keep going back. Mm-hmm. But at some point, the people I came from did know this. They had this knowledge. They were in relationship with their landscape. They were, um, they knew ways of forming those relationships and of tending to those relationships, mm-hmm. of honoring those relationships. Um, it's one reason that I am interested in magical practice as a way of relationship forming mm-hmm. i'm going to go into this i don't think it's too much of a digression i Do think it. it's related um we as witches practice magic mm-hmm. and that is something that is um subject to a certain amount of uh skepticism and eye rolling i would say from from the general culture at this point in the timeline mm-hmm. um by which I mean, you know, we are living in an industrialized society that has at this at this juncture prioritized um, a kind of rationalist and materialist attitude towards the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And I think as we've said in a previous podcast, we need those things. I'm glad we have them. You know, I'm glad to live in a time of modern medicine and all of that. Um, however... And part of this is is coming from... I've just finished reading a really interesting book called Magic, a History. Ooh. Great. Uh, yeah, super interesting. The author is a professor of archaeology who studies kind of the material culture of magic. And oh. the book traces human, human interaction, human magical interaction with their world from prehistoric times through, through the present. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and one of the central ideas of this book is that magic is meant to uh, put us in relationship with our universe. Mm-hmm. And that when you are in relationship, you are likelier to act respectfully. Mm-hmm. And that, in fact, towards the end of the book, he, he writes, um, and I, I agree with him and you know had had this thought before, um, but... Um, it's well written in the closing chapters of this book. We may need magical thinking in order to survive. Mm-hmm. We may need community magical rituals of reconnection with land in order to get through this. Mm-hmm. I came across his writing on the web page of um, an arts group based on Toronto Island who have. For the past several years, I don't know that they did it this year, but for some years they did an apple tree wassail on the Toronto Islands. Have you ever come across this? No. So a wassail is an English tradition. Mm-hmm. It comes from Old English, wassail, which means good health. Okay. And when you wassail your apple trees, you go to your trees, mm-hmm. you sing them a traditional song, you place a piece of bread soaked in cider in the boughs of the tree. So you make a food offering to the tree. Ah. You make an offering of song. 
you bang pots and pans to drive evil spirits away from the tree, and you say, please, tree, give us a lot of apples this year so we can make a lot of cider. That's amazing. It is wonderful, <laughs> and I love it. And um, the the artists who started this tradition quote this book on their website when they write about like why they want, why are they in 2021 or whenever going out and singing to their apple trees, and why are they doing this? Well, because then you have a relationship with that tree. Mm -hmm. That tree is a being. And when the tree obliges by giving you lots of apples, which apparently they did after the first year of the Island Apple Tree Wassail, um, then you are grateful and you're less likely to cut that tree down. Mm -hmm. And you're more likely to treat that tree with reverence and respect. And you're more likely to understand, hey, this food that I'm eating... It came out of a tree growing in the ground. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I sound like I'm being facile here. I'm, no. I, I don't intend to be. Um, and so the 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 magical rite of the wassail changes our relationship with the tree, mm-hmm. and the tree becomes an alive being, and it acts with generosity toward us. We perceive intention mm-hmm. in the tree. The tree becomes animated. We. It is alive, and then we, through our own action, animate that tree within ourselves, and then maybe the tree grows more animated in response to us. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, to animate comes from the word anima, which means soul. The tree has a soul within it. Maybe it was there, and we only just learned how to see it, or maybe we drew it forth through our relationship that we built with it. Mm-hmm. But I have to think that if we had that kind of relationship with our world, we would not be so quick to destroy what was here and we would work harder to preserve mm-hmm. and we would do a better job cult- understanding that we share this world with a multitude of other beings who have their own subjectivities, their own needs mm-hmm. and intentions, their own sovereignties, their own cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'm circling around to here is part of my ancestor work is magic. I am trying to learn what they did because they knew how to do this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up knowing how to do this, but it's within me to do it. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the other three lines of this book is despite the fact that we are really living in this time of kind of hyper prioritization of rationality, mm-hmm. people still engage in magical thinking all the time yeah yeah it won't go away Mm -hmm. so can we harness that power that we have our our ability to think as to think magically and and use that learn from that to rekindle a relationship with all of the other beings here I don't remember what you asked me to. I, oh, you asked me about being a good ancestor. <laughs> um, I think yeah. that was a beautiful response to that question. <laughs> um, which might bring me to my tarot cards. Would it be okay to? Yeah, let's do it. But I think we said we would do them at the beginning. God, we did, we, and we just we couldn't do it. Um, we just but not. I don't know. Did you? Did you? Before I do that, do you have further thoughts about being a good ancestor that you want to? Honestly, I think you said it beautifully and really put words to a lot of the things that I've been feeling. Um, Magic does feel like such 
an ancestral practice because I think you're absolutely right. It it feels to me, I mean, you were just describing a, a whole book done by an archaeologist who was saying like, yes, this is true. But for me, it feels like, of course, if we went back far enough, that would have just been the way of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think anytime we strengthen any relationships that we have, if we're strengthening them with ancestors, perhaps, it reminds us to strengthen all of our relationships. It can't help but lead us into a space where we recognize our relationality to everything in this world. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think I'm basically just saying exactly what you said, but um, yeah, yeah, I I really appreciated what you just said. And, and it is, we do do it practically too, you know, I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, I often carry a little bag of something to offer to the places I'm in. I think you do as well, you know, um, I'll have a a little bag of herbs that are sacred to me that I will offer, um, Mm -hmm. making sure that they're not invasive or anything like that that's going to cause harm. Um, but you know, I sometimes carry some rose petals and, and, and give them, and there were places in my neighborhood in this land that I am in that I do begin to feel I have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a mulberry tree in our yard mm-hmm. that I have, I feel a very strong relationship with. I spent a lot of the summer outside under its shade um, and have made offerings to it. Um, and forming that kind of relationship does feel so healing especially because we've been so cut off from our environment mm-hmm. um, in in the society that we live in um, and yeah as you were saying I mean like it seems a little bit silly to think oh this apple that I'm eating came from this tree that is in this particular place but we buy them at the grocery store um, we don't really um, our meat that if we eat meat the meat that we buy has been pre-butchered and packed in saran wrap. Yep. Um, we It is not easy for us, it is not natural for us anymore to feel that sense of understanding of where even the food that we are eating for fuel comes from anymore. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of our disconnect is it is not that long ago that we really kind of needed to be farming if we wanted to eat or we knew a farmer Mm -hmm. and you know we had a different skill that we offered to the community instead but um yeah we are so disconnected from our food supply that you don't see how long it takes the tree to move from from bud to flower to apple Mm -hmm. you don't see how much the tree um, loses to a late frost or to you don't you don't perceive how hard the tree is working to produce those apples mm-hmm. but if you are in a mindset of connection um, just like you were saying about sitting under the shade of your your mulberry tree you start to observe more when you've been given a gift mm-hmm. when I have when I have a bag of, of offerings in my pocket um, it's like I've got a, I've got a little bag of thank yous in my pocket. Mm-hmm. So if I have a thank you, I am looking for, I'm I'm looking for the gift. 
Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. Yeah. And so then if I am sitting under a tree and it is giving me shade on a hot day, or if I'm walking somewhere and, um, and I get to see like a really exciting bird or something, or like, you know, mm-hmm. if I, suddenly those things are, are gifts are relational. Mm-hmm. My spirit has been lifted by the bird. My body has been sheltered by the tree. Mm-hmm. And so then I have, I have something, I have a, I have a physical language. I have a ritual language that I can use to say thank you. And maybe it's a language that my own ancestors spoke in. Um, and maybe they spoke in that language to that kind of tree. Mm-hmm. And so maybe the tree understands that when a human gives a gift of a certain kind of plant or a, or a very shiny rock, which can itself be a gift that you <laughs> said thank you for. Um, or I just say thank you, or sometimes I sing something if I don't have anything with me. I, sometimes I try to like say thank you by singing a song, and then I'm just someone standing in the woods singing to a tree, but like I have done it. I've read poems to trees, actually. Yes. Um, there is then a there's a relationality that is different than just me thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I can read a book and think to myself, "Oh yeah, of course I'm connected to trees." Mm-hmm. But there's something about an embodied action of mm-hmm. connection that is very different. I think it's I think it's exactly as you said. Um, it might just be the thing that can save us. I think it's one of the things that can save us. I mean, mm-hmm. I think. I think a lot of people are doing a lot of work trying to save us through technology and of we need course. them to do yes. that. Yeah. But I really do think that one of the things that is necessary to save us is a um I don't think we need a new way of thinking with mm-hmm. our relationships. And thinking with is a construction I got from the Rune Soup podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to Rune Soup, but uh I have not. But they often the the host there, Gordon White, will often use the phrase thinking with instead of thinking of or thinking about. Because then you're not just like you're not the subject looking at an object. You're Mm -hmm. they're they're engaging in the thinking with you, which I like. I love that. Um, But yeah, I, I don't think we need a new way of thinking with these things. I think we need old ways. I think you're entirely right there we had them Mm -hmm. they are available to us Mm -hmm. i think our ancestors can teach them to us yeah if we meet them Mm -hmm. halfway which we are trying to do through various means Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of which is tarot cards yes Um, and you have two here today. I have two. I'm setting a dangerous precedent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wonder, would you like to talk about your one first or would you like me to dive into these two? How would you like to, I I just feel like I've been talking for several minutes and I want to make sure I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Let's uh, keep this a little balanced. Uh, I will start with my card. It's actually funny. I I really did want to bring two today and I was like, you know what? No, one (laughs) is enough. You still know what that second one is. There's time. (laughs) Um, I think this has probably gotten long enough. So, um, I brought the Eight of Cups today, and I brought it specifically, again, from the Mary L. Tarot, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit, does deviate from the Rider-Waite-Smith sometimes, so 
in the uh, Smith Rider Waite, really, um, you often see a figure and they are leaving behind either, well, there are eight cups behind them and they were walking off, I think maybe to go climb a mountain. I can't quite remember, but um, there is this sense of cycles ending um, with the eight of cups and this particular card depicts a young girl, maybe 10, maybe 12, uh, and she is wearing a cloak made of the skin of a lion. Ooh. Yeah. Here, I'll show you this one. And uh. in the story of this card, that skin is actually the skin of the Nemean lion slain by Hercules. Now, Hercules uh, slew that lion as part of one of his 12 labors, I believe I it is. Right. Um, that were his amends for killing his family yeah. after Hera drove him mad. Um, and when I think of this, I think of these cycles of violence. He was victimized and through no fault of his own caused violence, but then his amends is to perpetuate more violence, mm -hmm. to slay this creature um that uh and it became his cloak um and that he wore and it was kind of one of the symbols um of who he was almost and what's interesting here is it's not hercules wearing this cloak it is a young child and again i was thinking about cycles of trauma when i brought this card in um but like I said, it's not Hercules wearing this cloak. It is an innocent. It is someone who carries that history with them, yes, but has the opportunity to do things differently. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is one thing that ancestor work can really be helpful with, whether those cycles were caused by trauma done to a person or trauma perpetuated by a person or both most likely um we all carry the history of our ancestors but if we are able to connect with them to understand them to know what those cycles were to know to hear their advice potentially on how to heal because i think they do have a lot of that wisdom ancestor work can really free us and kind of give us back our choice I suppose is the way that I was thinking about this so yeah I think to me the part of ancestor work that feels like it is both looking back and looking forward is the knowledge that any one of us can be a cycle breaker. Mm. Um, any one of us can be this innocent child who gets to stand up and say no more. And I think we all do this generationally. I know my parents didn't do things exactly the same way as their parents did, who probably also, we're never going to end absolutely everything in our one lifetime, but we're hopefully going to say, okay, this is what I can recognize that needs to be changed. 
Um, and then we do that for our maybe own children or just for the world as much as we can. And yeah, then they get to break something else and then their children get to break something else. So yeah, it just feels like a really powerful card for this kind of work. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful card. I wonder if you, maybe if we can just briefly, before I move on and talk about my cards, I wonder if you would want to talk a little bit about, for those who are interested in doing that, some of this um, from, from a magical perspective, mm-hmm. how you invite messages from your ancestors. What are some things that you do and that people could try? Yeah, okay. I... I don't get very elaborate with this. <laughs> I literally, the way that I most connect with my ancestors is through tarot reading, but also through journeying, um, which if you don't know is, I guess the short way of saying it is you're almost visualizing a space in your mind that you go to, that you create specifically to call in or invite in. It really could be anything. Um, but you're kind of creating that space within your own self almost mm-hmm. um, to lay the foundation or to create the environment where one can communicate. Would that be an yeah. accurate yeah. description of it? Absolutely. And I, I don't stand on formality for that, honestly. I think the best way for me has always just been to like take a moment if I'm doing a tarot reading and I want to specifically communicate, I will just say something to the effect of, um, I invite you in and uh, with humble gratitude, I would love for you to join me and for you to share your wisdom with me um, or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Um one thing I do have, it's actually right behind Rebecca right now, but I have a little ancestor altar set mm-hmm. up. Uh, it is one <laughs> one shelf of a narrow bookshelf. It's the... I see it, yeah. Yep. Um, and I, not as often as I would like, but I do make offerings there. I'll lay out, like, I think once I laid out a cigarillo for my grandmother or some chocolate or a little bit of wine or... You know, whatever you happen to have on hand mm-hmm. is the, is honestly the best way to do it, I find. Because if you're like, oh, I have to get this very specific offering, then their barriers get created there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, or even just some water. Um, but I have, yeah, I have an ancestor altar set up where I have photos um, and just a few things that um, kind of remind me of them. And... There is a book that I really enjoy using um, called Ancestral Tarot, and Mm. I believe it's Nancy Hendrickson. I will, in the show notes, put the proper name because now I don't remember for sure, but um, it's a really beautiful workbook that has just a lot of spreads that help you to kind of initially connect and then go a little bit deeper 
Um, so I will, yeah, I'll definitely put that in the show notes so that people can, if they're interested in it, I think it's a really great, like, intro to working with ancestors through tarot kind Mm. of book. Um, but yes, uh, honestly, prayer Mm -hmm. is a great way. Um, anything that, um, anything that just opens up. The possibility of connection. Um, yeah. Are there any ways that you can think of that um, might be great, like, ins? Yeah. So everything you just described, um, tarot or any other form of divination, can mm-hmm. be a really wonderful way. Um, I also um, use journeying to try and connect with ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like you said, there's a landscape that I have sort of built up over some years of going there and visualizing it and it's gained some richness and dimension as I've been going there and I will just say um, sometimes I will ask a specific ancestor if they would come forward sometimes I will say um, you know I would like to meet an ancestor I have met some ancestors that way don't know their names mm-hmm. don't always learn where they're from but um, you can invite your ancestors forward and maybe begin to to cultivate a relationship Mm -hmm. i also have an ancestor altar as you described um and i also make offerings periodically of usually what i'm having so coffee water wine scotch sometimes for some of them um food if i'm making a special meal i'll put some food on the altar Mm um and then there's One other practice that I sometimes do that might be helpful is, um, this was taught to me as a spirit walk, um, wherein if I'm, if I'm working on something, Mm -hmm. I might go to the altar and say, you know, hello, ancestors, Mm -hmm. um, here's my problem. (laughs) And and like you, I'm usually not, I don't usually stand on ceremony too much, as you said, like pretty informal. This is what I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be really grateful for any insight you have on how to move through this. Um, here is an offering in mm-hmm. thanks. Um, and the other thing is like, as I described that it sounds a little bit transactional, but most of the time I'm just trying to sort of relationship build with them and acknowledge them and thank them for their presence in my life. And then when I do make an ask, it feels like it's coming out of a relationship that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I will go for a walk. And I will not have my earbuds in and I will have my eyes open and I will see who I meet or encounter. Ah. Um, And that has, sometimes I will see an animal. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, I have had it where someone has yelled the name of a deity. Really? And I began to work with that deity. Um, I have encountered runes made out of sticks on the ground Mm -hmm. um, and looked up the meaning of that rune and drawn my message from that. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I've just asked, can you just let me know that you're present and with me? And sometimes I will even go, because my brain is so skeptical, sometimes I'll even go so far as to say, here are some signs, specific things that I would recognize as a sign of your presence. Oh my gosh, I um, have a funny story there. Yeah, but, uh... um, and that always feels to me like, oh, this isn't going to work. I'm narrowing it down too much. But by being specific, then when I encounter that being, mm-hmm. which happens more often than not, yeah. then I really do feel that sense of relationship and of connection. And, mm-hmm. um, and then it's encouraging. And then you can 
say thank you and then you make an offering of whatever you have in your pocket which hopefully you brought with you because you're planning to do a spirit walk and um so that is you know and it's also so that is a way that I sometimes will will do it and that is it's a good way to there's something I think about moving your body that lets you think in a different way as well so I kind of can be in a slightly different headspace and Mm -hmm. and it's a little adventure it's exciting you don't know what you're who you're gonna meet so your your neighborhood becomes a a mythic landscape that you're moving through Mm -hmm. that's going to connect with you in some way that is so beautiful I am going to try this because it sounds amazing um, I was hoping I could quickly share just a yeah, little please. story before we get to your tarot cards, and then we really should because I'm sure we're, we're probably I don't know <laughs> <laughs> we it's might have to fine. edit anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was uh, working with that book that I was just mentioning, and one of the first exercises is that you call in a specific ancestor, and you don't need to know who it is, but you do ask for one ancestor to come forward. Um, to kind of help you work through this book uh, as your sort of guide for the journey through it. So I did that and I said, who, and I I said, who wants to come forward? And I just had this feeling that it was my grandfather. Um, And I said to myself, one of the things that they actually suggest is like, yeah, ask for a sign, ask for a specific sign. So I heard from him that it was going to be butterflies. I think you know Mm -hmm. this, but... um, Yes, I heard from him that it was going to be butterflies, and I go like, okay, maybe that just popped into my head because I it was a it was monarch time, and I'd been seeing them everywhere. I was spending a lot of time outside in the garden, and so I thought like, hmm, okay, maybe. Uh, and I pull a bunch of tarot cards for this reading that has to do with this. Every single card has a butterfly on it, <laughs> and. He, I am the most skeptical person ever. I'm just going all like, well, clearly this deck is just like, likes butterfly imagery. It was so funny though, because I had almost not used that deck. I had almost pulled a different one. And then at the last minute, I was like, no, no, no. I think this is the one that I want to (laughs) use. So time goes on and I'm still going like, "Mm, yeah, probably, but maybe not. And we go for a walk along the beach. (laughs) And I just remember turning, oh gosh, I think we must have just come out of some like brush because like the lake opened up in front of us and there is a giant blue butterfly kite. Yes. In the sky. Yeah. (laughs) And... Oh my gosh, they will communicate with you one way or the other. Yeah. Even if you are going like, probably, but I don't know, it's butterfly season and this deck might just be weird. And Yeah. Yeah. I love this story. And, you know, having been there, I can corroborate that this is all true. And then, you know, the other thing I can corroborate is like, we go down there a lot. I'm at the, I'm down at the lake a lot. Never, I've never seen the butterfly no, kite. I have it's not like, oh, it's the butterfly either. kite guy. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh, okay. And, and, and it can be specific like that where like, it was normal for us to be seeing butterflies at the time of year. So, Mm -hmm. so they're going to be more specific. So, you know, (laughs) um, that has been my experience as well. And to the voice in the back of my head that I can hear right now going, well, that's just magical thinking. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. It is magical thinking and it makes your life richer because now you have this relationship 
with your grandfather that you can learn things from. Mm -hmm. That's not something that we can scientifically measure to be real. Mm -hmm. But that kind of relationship would have been real to our own ancestors. For mm -hmm. them, that kind of ancestor contact was real. Yeah. And I find my life enriched by making it real in my life and interacting with those ancestors in this way of that relationship is alive. Mm -hmm. I, I love that story. <laughs> It really was just one of those moments of like, okay, all right, I get yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, your cards. Okay, my cards. Um, I'll start with my cups because I also brought cups. Ooh. I have brought the three of cups. Of course, yes. Yeah, and I like that you said of course. Mm -hmm. um, and just the deck that I'm using um, in honor of Ancestry, this is my very first tarot deck that I ever bought. Mm -hmm. This is the Llewellyn Tarot. The artist is Anna Marie Ferguson, mm -hmm. um, and this tarot deck is um, it's a Smith Rider Waite style deck that draws on elements of Welsh mythology, um, and all of the you know they're all in this sort of really kind of lush watercolor style. And I must have bought this in um, I think two thousand six or seven in a wow. Barnes and Noble, <laughs> and I was like. Yep, yoink! Like as soon as I saw it on the shelf, I was like, "Ah, this I'm I'm having this. This is this is a deck that I'm having." So this is the very first tarot deck that ever like called to me. Um, and the Three of Cups. This is a pretty traditional depiction of the Three of Cups. Mm -hmm. The Smith Weight deck depicts three women, um, sort of moving in a kind of dance. They each have their uh, their they each have an arm lifted and it's a lot like that. I think it's a Botticelli painting of the three graces. Do you know what one I mean? I think yeah, I don't I remember the vaguely pictured title of this mind. painting, but it's a classical painting. I think it's Botticelli and it um, is meant to depict sort of the three graces of of spring as it was conceived then. Um, what I like about this card is for me when I'm get when I'm doing a reading and I get this card, it really often speaks about friendship. Mm -hmm. um, and I like this card as a way of thinking about building a a friendly relationship with ancestors. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we've been talking this whole podcast about relationship building. And that there's this sort of dance that is happening in this card among these three figures um, where they're moving maybe in a circle and they're, they're sort of passing around and, and between each other and that it's alive and moving and cyclical. Oh. <laughs> and I was about to say fun, so I will say fun. We've been talking about some heavy topics, but also there can, I think, be an aspect of this sort of work that is, well, you know, sometimes you just feel like someone's playing a joke on you, like with this butterfly um, <laughs> kite that you were talking about that I'm glad you're, um, you know, I, I sometimes get this feeling like, oh, you want a sign? I'll show you a sign. <laughs> you know? How do you like that, kid? <laughs> um, that, that there's this... Um, this this sense of of enjoyment of cultivating these relationship bonds mm -hmm. and that indeed you know as you're talking about your grandfather um some of it for me has been you know there are there are ancestors who died before i was born 
who I didn't get to know as an adult Mm -hmm. um, and with whom I would like to have had some conversations. As you were saying earlier, you know, you wish you could talk with your grandmother as an adult. Mm -hmm. Well, we can cultivate some ways of, of doing that. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be quite as direct as sitting down face to face over a cup of tea, but we can, Mm -hmm. we can practice um, reaching out with the communication and then practicing our own awareness of being aware when there's a communication coming back. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And I will say with my grandfather, I have journeyed and had conversations with him Mm -hmm. and he has a sense of humor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is just to briefly talk about the journeying for a second. Um, but I don't know if this is your experience, but mine is, and I think this is fairly common Usually at the beginning, I just feel like, oh, I'm making this all up. I'm just imagining this in my head until the person you're interacting with Mm -hmm. really says something that you would not, you don't think you would have thought of to, to say, and then it really begins to, it can take a a direction in a form that you were not anticipating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I find that practice really valuable. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a great one to bring in. Um, so that is this sort of close and intimate and like friendly aspect of ancestor work that I wanted to bring in. And then my second, the much alluded to second card mm-hmm. from this deck is um, card number 21, which is the world in most decks, but in this deck, it is the universe. Okay. Oh, and, beautiful. Um, and it's this snowy mountain peak with a lake in it and the stars above. And there's a, there's a figure on the side who's the sort of wisp of snow in the, in the side of the, of the image, kind of alluding to the, oh, yeah. the Smithwaite world card, which, which shows uh, a, a female figure in the center surrounded by a wreath of laurels and then um, a number of different kinds of creatures. And I almost mm. brought that one because of what we were talking about, about being in relation. Um, but the reason I brought this one is because it spoke to something I think we were maybe getting to earlier in this podcast about being in relationship with a really broad, a a very broad conception of, of our place in the world and, and how we fit into the world. Um, and I've brought this one because, you know, speaking of synchronicities, Mm -hmm. um, here's one that happened for me some months ago. I don't remember where the thought came from. It seemed to just arise. Um, but I think it was in my kitchen and I just had this thought, the thought was, the stars are my ancestors. Oh, beautiful. And what I mean by that is, quite literally... We are made of stardust. Everything we are is made of stardust. Everything mm-hmm. we can perceive and see and interact with mm-hmm. arose out of the swirling formation of the universe. Mm-hmm. We are a product of the... We are the universe. We are a, a, um, an expression mm-hmm. of the universe. That sounds so woo, and it's just factual. <laughs> right? Even in a materialist universe, if we just choose for a moment to inhabit just straight-up materialism, mm-hmm. there's nothing but energy and particles. Yep. It is still a fact that we are an arising expression of the universe, mm-hmm. which means to me that consciousness is an expression of the universe because we are conscious, and I have found that to be very, uh, a very enlivening thought. Um, but I, but anyway, I thought to myself, the stars are my ancestors. And I was like, oh, that's, that's real. And then a few days later, Alan said it to me, my husband. What? And, and we had sort of been watching a number of, um, 
like we'd been watching a bunch of sort of PBS videos about like space and quantum mechanics and stuff, which is like something that we like to do on our off time, which is like, yes, space. Um, but he said something, he, I don't know if he used those exact words, but he basically, he basically expressed that exact thought like, oh, hey, you know what? We're, we're descended from stars. And I was like, hey, yeah, we are. Um, I, weirdly, I just thought that. And then a few days after that, I encountered it almost verbatim in some other article. I can't oh remember gosh. what the article was, but the stars, the stars are our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And I find that greatly comforting. And I even find it comforting in the face of the sort of eco-grief that we were talking about earlier when I think mm-hmm. that we are a, an expression of this kind of vastness and that things swirl and come together and coalesce mm-hmm. and then break apart Mm-hmm. And move into other forms. Um, and it connects me to the broader earth and the broader universe in a way that I find very, very um, comforting. So the stars are my ancestors. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> <sighs> I think that is a beautiful place to end this conversation because, yeah, that one's going to sit with me for a little bit. <laughs> I, yeah, whatever led me to to think of that, I was grateful. I think mm-hmm. some of it comes from um, probably Carl Sagan. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a thought that emerged fully formed from my own head, but Mm-hmm. Maybe that formation of it is, I don't know. But mm. I, I agree. Maybe we should uh, start to wrap up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if you say that the stars are our ancestors, what's coming up for me is just that everything is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if, if the stars are your ancestors, there's nothing to which you are not related. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as we were saying, I think that that understanding is something that we are sorely missing and something that is so necessary for not just our survival, but for our thriving. There's a Walt Whitman poem that contains the line, a vast similitude interlocks all. Oh, that's and so beautiful. I kind of I hold that one in my heart. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if I'm really feeling a lot of despair, I just think to myself, don't forget. I've asked similitude interlocks all. (laughs) And it does. (laughs) So on that note, we will connect with you again Mm -hmm. at the next full moon. We will. New moon. New New moon. moon. It's full moon now. Mm -hmm. New moon. Um, We have an email address. We do. Yeah. Yes. So if you have any questions or comments or um, just want to reach out and say hey you can at across the river podcast at gmail.com and that is all lowercase with no breaks in between it yep absolutely across the river podcast mm-hmm. at gmail.com we would be so excited if we got an email we would be we would really like be at so the happy. moment that that little red dot shows up on the thing <laughs> we would be so we would be beside ourselves i'm not too cool to admit it so nope. if you've been thinking hey i would love to share my thoughts with sarah and rebecca um please know that your thoughts are most most welcome beyond welcome yeah (laughs) 
Alright, and then, um, yeah, I guess we still haven't figured out our wrap-up. Uh, I did want to say that, um, no, can't remember what it was. <laughs> Perfect. We will cut that part. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was a great wrap-up. <laughs> I want to leave it in. We can cut it. <laughs> we'll see how it sounds in, yeah. in, uh, in post. Okay, all right. We will see you on the next new moon. And until then, we hope um, that, yeah, you're just doing very well. Yes, we hope you're, you and, and your ancestors are all doing very well. Mm -hmm. All right. Bye, everyone. Goodbye.